Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, September 5th, 2008. I'm Alana Rankin. How does the double helix make you want to move? That's the question, among others, that choreographer Liz Lerman asked genomic scientists. She's produced a dance performance on human genome research called Ferocious Beauty Genome. And this week, we take a brief look at some of the elements that went into putting it together. Check out our multimedia slideshow of the dance while you listen at scienceandthecity.org podcast. Thanks to the Graduate Center of the City University of New York for the audio of this discussion, which was moderated by Robin Hennig, freelance science journalist and contributing writer for the New York Times Magazine. Liz Lerman is a choreographer and one who believes that dance and art can get people talking. She founded the Liz Lerman Dance Exchange in 1976, and ever since then, people have indeed been talking about her work. So it really shouldn't have been a surprise that when she decided to tackle the subject of the human genome, well, people got talking. Lerman gets her ideas from all sorts of places and describes her inspiration for getting gritty with genomics. There's something called bioart. It's a movement of visual artists around the world who are using genetic material in their actual visual artwork. And one of those exhibits was traveling the country and ran into a big upheaval in Seattle lot of distress in the public and we got a call from the Seattle Art Gallery Museum that was showing it asking me to come out and do some work between artists and the public which I love to do but I said look I don't know anything about genetics so they overnighted me about this much like that many pounds of genetic material so I read some of it and I went into shock I realize now they sent me the shocking material Like, maybe if they'd sent me something else, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But in particular, I was moved at that time my daughter was in high school. I was moved by the thought that the next generations would have different reproductive choices. Quite really serious different ones than maybe we'd had. And I felt as a mother I should know something. But here's what happened. And this is, I think, the thing maybe people don't know so much about choreographers, which is this. If I want to know something, I'll make a dance about it. Because the nature of the research and the translation and the pulling the information together and letting the information go in order to make something that works, that is an incredible process of learning. And so in a way, it's a little selfish, but I just wanted to know more. And know more she did. Lerman teamed up with scientists, educators, and other artists to pull together what's now called Ferocious Beauty Genome. The finished work itself is a multimedia performance, not just dance. A huge video screen lines the back of the stage, and throughout the dance, the video shows images of everything from the double helix to scientists describing gene translation to sort of like psychedelic interpretations of past discoveries in the field of genomics. And then in the front of the stage, Lerman's dancers interact with this video screen and the music that's playing, as well as the light. The finished project is pretty enchanting, but there was a learning process for both Lerman and the scientists that she worked with. Bonnie Bassler is a molecular biologist at Princeton University, and while she says she found thinking in terms of dance to be a new challenge, she says in the end her and Lerman weren't that different when it came to problem solving. She always asks me, like, 
When you think about that, how does that make you want to make you move? <laughs> it doesn't make me want to do that. It makes me want to draw a graph, you know? And so, so anyway, so yeah, that's it. It's, I think in some way we're doing the same thing. Like I'm just working it out invisibly in my head and she's working it out with her hands and her feet. So then how were you able to actually answer that question? Because it was a question you'd never asked yourself. How does this concept make me want to move? So how do you learn to speak in movement? Well, so I'm a beginner. So actually that happened when I was working with Liz on this piece. She brought in all these different scientists and we just talked and moved together. And they would always say, when you say that thing about DNA or about genetics, Bunny, what does it make you want to do? What does it make you want to move? And I would say, it doesn't make me want to move. But of course, I move all the time. It turns out that what they brought to my attention is that I'm always talking like this and drawing things with my hands. So we just sort of used some of the movements I was already doing, and they're in there. Did most scientists, Liz, respond that way after thinking for a while? Did they get your question? Well, it was very different from person to person. And I don't know how many doors were slammed in our faces, but I will say that all the scientists I met were incredibly open, curious, and interested. Some of them would say something like this, we've been waiting for you. We can't actually quite picture this. It's all about movement. Like one of the scientists, he came to the filming all excited because they had just hired, he's at the University of Chicago, they had just hired a science person whose interest was the traffic patterns in a cell. It's all about That is movement, movement. right, just by definition. And so there was kind of an enthusiasm about that. But I do think this idea of translation is fascinating to people. That is to attempt to translate from what you think you see in your field to what you perceive in another's is actually, in the end, emboldening to send you back to your own laboratory. At least that's what I found. Even if nothing happened between us, even if we didn't use that section in the piece, I always felt that after an interaction with one of the scientists, they went back enthused, and maybe with a different image of something, and we certainly did, because we got some Mm -hmm. tremendous ideas from people. Well, so this is a good segue into the next section, which is when the question is, what if scientists were choreographers? So we're, again, putting them together more than happens in the second half of the piece, but I thought it was interesting to take a look at that, too. This came about because I actually was meeting with a man named Dick Lewinton at Harvard who decided not to have any of the stuff usable because he didn't want to be edited, which I can appreciate, (laughs) Uh, speaking of interpretation. But he did, we were having this very animated conversation, and all of a sudden he, he sort of went off into this space where you could see that he was in his imagination, and he said, now the dancers should all be lying down because DNA is inert. And I thought, okay, in my world, there's something called bad interpretive dancing. You know, <laughs> like be a tree, right? So if I said to the dancers, lie down because DNA is inert, I would get creamed by the press for being, doing bad interpretive dance. But I realized if the scientists told the dancers what to do, maybe it would be charming. So anyway, you see what You could start out by just laying dancers out, laying dancers, laying dancers out, end to end on the floor, you know, head to foot, head to foot, head to foot. So two scientists are being shown on the video screen, and they're both trying to explain how they think the dancers should move to convey the ideas of genomics research. If you look, when we reconstructed the ancestors, you see all of the mammalian genomes are basically just reshuffled pieces of this same ancestral genome. We're all very similar. They are both gesturing madly in this attempt, and the result is pretty funny. 
In the front of the stage, the dancers try and, in fact, interpret these movements. We're all very similar. Head to foot, head to foot. We made every scientist do this. We asked them each to take a biological process and explain it as if they were, and they had dancers to do it with. It was fascinating to see who could and who couldn't do it. And some of them began to use this as a teaching tool. I'm talking at the college level, because it turns out that when you try to actually embody the science, you realize the gaps in your knowledge. So something as simple as to hold hands and let's, uh, all right, we know that uh, the cell splits. Okay, all right, good, go ahead, split. Well, like, why? One, two, three, split? Or is it a tear? Or is it a push? Or is there a signal? Or, I mean, suddenly it's like, why would you split? To get to the current day genome organization, it's just a matter of shuffling and rearranging the pieces. And it's just a matter of shuffling and rearranging. During the discussion, Bassler is asked if she remembers being asked to describe her research in terms of dance. In fact, I do remember, we were talking about how cells come together to make groups and then how the group does more than the individual. And so, in fact, we were dancing that part where we started with single dancers and then more and more dancers, and we ended up kind of in a configuration like you just saw where Elizabeth was on the top, like building all these. They weren't machines, but they were people organs, right? And that's how what we did during that part of my the reason this ended up isn't purely editing, though, like Liz must be editing. Actually, there are many collaborators on this project, including an incredible sound designer, Darren West. And the two scientists you saw in that section were two of the early interviews. And he took them and he manipulated the interviews. And uh, I wasn't even sure I liked that because I thought maybe it should be more base, basic. Mm-hmm. But then the videographers and animators got their hands on it and, you know, we were off to the races. Would. Would, 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 would somehow come into appropriate juxtaposition with Larry was fascinated by the way scientists asked questions, and listening to them speak helped her shape the piece. It was Bonnie who introduced me to Dr. Vichaus. Am I saying it correctly? He's a Nobel laureate at Princeton. I was still working on the section, and just typical, you know, I walked into the lab, and we sat down and talked for a while, and then he let me look at the fruit flies he was working with, and then I said, well, how do you ask yourself a question, because I was still struggling, and he said, I am fueled by my ignorance, and I just love that, because, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I just feel like, I wish, that, I wish people understood that in this country. How did, how did you begin with that question, about how, did you, how do you ask a question? It was one thing to wake up and say, okay, I don't know anything about genetics. I'm going to make a dance about it and find out. It was then like, then what? So there was a series of research questions that went something like this to the scientists we met. What do you think the public needs to know? What do you want the public to understand? And then while I was listening for that, I was starting to hear how they did pose questions. And then I was meanwhile asking myself, well, which questions am I interested in out of this amazing array of things that people are working on? And I figured that theatrically the audience could maybe handle three big stories. So act two is three stories. The three stories Lerman tells are based on three pretty big questions. How long do we want to live? What's driving the quest for longevity and the market for human perfection? And what's the impact when we can control diversity? talk about heavy questions. Yet Lerman and Bassler think art can help communicate complicated scientific issues and offer science new ideas at the same time, especially in the classroom. Bonnie and I were just talking, coming up on the train today, about what it would be like to have a school that is entirely 
doing the science and doing the art and what would happen. One outcome from this is an exhibit at the Museum of Science in Baltimore, which is a science museum for young people. They were working on a cell exhibit and they saw this piece and they re-envisioned the whole thing to have scientists and dancer video guides. Bonnie's one of them. Mm. And uh, there, so there's a lot of effort being made. I, I'll be curious to see where, where and how it goes. You can still catch performances of Ferocious Beauty. The next one is happening in November in Easton, Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening. Do you love Science in the City podcast? Support them by becoming a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. Visit scienceandthecity.org. Did you know you can subscribe to Science in the City podcast on iTunes and get our newest story every week downloaded automatically to your iTunes library? Search Science and the City in your iTunes search bar. Have questions or comments about the show? We'd love your feedback. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654. Thanks for listening and see you next week.